Now, while they're doing that, we're going to turn to our passage for this morning, which is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're beginning our Christmas series this week. All right, so for the next four Sundays, we are going to be going through a portion of the first chapter of John, and our series is called The Word Became Flesh, and we're examining uh, the nature of the one that we celebrate uh, on Christmas Day, the birth of the the Christ, Uh, and that's what we'll be looking at today, and we'll be beginning that series this morning, The Word Became Flesh. So John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let me read it for us, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word of the Lord. Well, when I was in college, I went to a school called uh, Palm Beach Atlantic University. It's in... uh, the campus is in downtown West Palm Beach, and it's a Christian school, so there are, there are lots of churches nearby. Um, one church that was the closest was, uh, was First Baptist of West Palm, and it was right on campus. And so that's naturally a church that I went to because it was the closest. <laughs> um, also, I grew up as a Baptist, so I was comfortable with that. That's the first church I tried out and went to for a while while I was in college. Uh, they had a large college ministry, for obvious reasons, and the college pastor, um, I remember he was, uh, when I first started going there, he was ending his time at the church. He was going to go on to another position at a different church, and I remember his last sermon. Um, I think I'll always remember it. Uh, it was pretty long. I remember he was giving it uh, one Sunday. It was his very last sermon, and towards the end of the sermon, he he slipped up, and he, he was trying to make a point, and he said, very unintentionally, but very loudly and very clearly, he said, I am God. <laughs> and you could just see the shock and the disappointment on his face after he said that. He just, after he said it, he just kind of looked down, and he... He closed his Bible. He said, well, it's been a great eight years. I'll see you guys later. (laughs) Uh, He finished the sermon. Good for him. Um, But uh, it's it's a sermon I've never forgotten. (laughs) Poor guy. Um, We're beginning our Christmas series in the Gospel of John today. And uh, in his Gospel, John is going to say very loudly, very clearly, Jesus is God. And unlike my college pastor, he really wants you to remember what he said. So let's get into our passage this morning. Well, first, let's talk about the gospel a little bit. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. All right, and all the all the gospels are the gospel of Jesus Christ, just according to a different author or different writer. This one's particular is is John, and that's John the Apostle, the brother of James 
who together were the sons of Zebedee, nicknamed the sons of thunder, right? They were the ones who, um, when a village did not receive Jesus like they thought they should, they asked Jesus if they could call down fire on the village, as if that was the reasonable response. Um, John was passionate. Um, but he, he seemed to calm down enough from that point to write five of the New Testament books, this gospel, his three epistles, and the book of Revelation. Now, John doesn't name himself in this gospels, uh, in this gospel, excuse me, none of the writers of the gospel do. Uh, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so if you had an option to call yourself John and the disciple who Jesus loved, uh, I think that's a pretty clear choice. At the Last Supper, he's the one who is leaning back in Jesus' bosom. And whenever there was a significant event in the ministry of Jesus, like the Transfiguration or something like that, he was always invited in kind of that small group that got to go and experience those things. Um, He seemed to enjoy an intimate relationship with the Lord. And the way he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved makes me think he was just in awe at how much Jesus cared for him. So this disciple, when he's writing the gospel, um, his goal in writing the gospel is to tell us who Jesus is, what he has done, so that we might believe the gospel and have eternal life. And in this account, he begins his gospel uh, in a unique way. He tells his audience about the nature of this person, Jesus. He wants the audience to understand Jesus' nature, and that's where we begin our passage this morning. All right, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, this is so such a well-known verse for us as Christians. We probably all have it memorized. You might already know when this is referring to, but I felt, still think it's helpful to go through it and be reminded about it. When is in the beginning? The Gospel of Mark starts in a similar way, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But when Mark is talking about it, he's referring to the start of Jesus' ministry. So when Jesus is an adult, that's when Mark's Gospel begins. The Gospel of Luke begins with the prophecy of the birth of uh, John the Baptist and of Jesus. And so Luke's Gospel begins with their birth. Those are the beginning of their gospel. And the gospel of Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. The beginning there is the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham. But these first three words that we see here in the beginning are so familiar to us as the reader that it naturally brings us to the very first words of the Bible in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is making a conscious allusion to these opening words of Genesis. The beginning of what? The beginning of creation. Mark starts his account of Jesus with this earthly ministry. Luke goes a little bit further back and he says, "No, I'm not going to start with the earthly ministry. I'm going to start it with Jesus' birth. Matthew goes even a little bit further back, and he says, I'm not going to start with Jesus' birth. I'm going to start it at the beginning of the nation of Israel, all the way back to Abraham. 
John says, I've got you all beat. I'm going to start in the beginning, beginning. The beginning of all things, the beginning of creation. John is saying, if you want to know the nature of Jesus, you have to go to the beginning. And so that's what he does. In the beginning was the word. Now that's interesting. It's rather peculiar that John doesn't mention Jesus' name here. In fact, he doesn't mention Jesus' name until verse 14. Uh, if John wanted to make it very clear who, is, who he was talking about, he could have just said, in the beginning was Jesus. But he doesn't do that. That's interesting. He says, in the beginning was the word. Logos is the Greek word. Now, why would John do that? Well, you'll notice he doesn't take time to explain the word or, or why he uses it. All right, So when the Bible uses a term, and doesn't explain what it means or what it is exactly. Um, it's because the author is assuming it's, it's obvious to the audience. They know what logos means and logos refers to. For his Greek audience, the logos was a common and widely used term in the first century, especially among Greek philosophy. It was a, almost an abstract idea, not a, not a physical thing, but the logos was this rational principle by which everything came into existence. Everything that existed sprung from this logos, all right, um, in some manner. And so if you, were, uh, if you were his Greek audience, you would understand what the logos is. For the Jews, logos would make them think, of course, of the Old Testament, the word of the Lord. Its Hebrew counterpart was devar. The word of the Lord was the means by which God revealed himself to his people. The word of the Lord would come to Moses or to the prophets or through a messenger. And it was the means by which he delivered his people. It was the means by which he pronounced judgment on them. The word of the Lord was his will. It was his wisdom. But most importantly for our passage, the word was the means by which God created everything. And we'll get into that uh, more in just a bit. So you can see this verse 1. We're in, we're in verse 1 still. It has three parts. The first part we just went over puts Jesus into a cosmic context. Jesus is the Word. Now, how can Jesus be uh, doing his ministry when he did with John and yet exist in the beginning as well? That's what John was addressing. So Jesus was the Word, and the Word was there in the beginning. So that means before, before creation existed, the Word existed. All right, so we already have established something about Jesus, his pre-existence before creation began. In the beginning, Jesus was there, or the Word was there. He's not a created being. He has uh, existed before creation. And since time began with creation, Jesus existed before time began. We would say he existed uh, eternally. At the point where Jesus, everything began, Jesus already was, or the Word already was. Next, it says, and the Word was with God. All right, so we, since we saw that the Word was uh, in the beginning, the reader might assume that the Word was God, since God created all things. Any Jewish reader would assume that's what John is trying to say. 
So maybe John was just referring to God when he talked about the word. But here, he's very careful to use a preposition that tells us that the word was, in some sense, separate from God. The word existed eternally, but at the same time is separate, in some sense, from God. Okay, he's, But he's, he's with God. So there's some sort of intimate relationship between God and the Logos and the word. So the word is distinguishable from God, but is also enjoying a personal relationship with him. All right, so that's the word was with God. And then the final part of verse 1, the word was God. In the Greek, literally, it's, it's, it's theos in ha, logos. God was the word. So the word was God. God was the word. Um, but we just said the word was with God, and now the word is God. And that's what John is saying, that the word is with God and he is God. He's both. The word is distinguishable from God, but at the same time is God. All right. So John is trying to tell us that the eternal word is God. The word is not simply God-like. All right. It's not, it's not, you know, John is not describing the word as divine or God-like as as some sort of attribute like that, all right? There's a there's a Greek word he could have used if he wanted to just describe Jesus or the word being God-like. That's not what he's saying. He says theos. He's saying the word is God. So whatever makes God God, that's what the word is as well. The New English translation uh, says it as the word was fully God. They're making the argument that um, this is what John is trying to communicate. What God is the word is also. So the word is distinguishable from God the Father. I added in God the Father, that's what he's referring to. But it's just as much God as God the Father. And that's how he can be with God and God at the same time. So it's here in the very first verse of John where we begin to see the doctrine of the Trinity take shape. We have two persons of the Trinity here, at least. So in the first verse, we see that the word pre-existed before creation. And then the second, in the second part of the first verse, he, he co-existed with God before creation. And then the third part, part of the verse, he is in his very nature God. So we can safely say that the words and deeds of Jesus are in fact the words and deeds of God. So if you're asking yourself, what is God like? You look at Jesus. You look at his words. You look at his actions. The words and deeds of Jesus are, in fact, the words and deeds of God. And so that's what John is telling us. Just look at Jesus. Just look at him. Listen to him. This is who Jesus is. Now, verse 2 is essentially a repetition and an emphasis of verse 1. It kind of brackets uh, verse 1. They, they say essentially the same thing. In the beginning was the word. He was in the beginning with God. Repeating, summarizing, emphasizing what just happened. All right, so... First part of verse 1, verse 2, they talk about uh, the words eternality. And in the middle, he was with God, he was God. It talks about the words um, identity. Who is the word? His nature. Well, let's continue. Verse 3, the word made all things. All right, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, this takes us back to the time before creation. Once again, in the beginning. All things were made through the word. 
And you might have noticed in verse 2 and here in verse 3, John begins referring to the word as he or him. Um, he's a being. He's a personal being. But all things were made through him. And again, if all things were made or created through him, then that means he existed before they were created. So now, if all things were made through Jesus, the language is interesting. That means that Jesus was present at, at creation. So in Genesis 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, so on and so forth, whenever God spoke creation to being, Jesus was there and he had an essential role to play in it. He is the means by which everything was made. God spoke, let there be light or water or earth, anything and those things came into being. There was nothing, then God spoke, and there was something. And Jesus is the word through which everything was created. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 uses similar language to describe Jesus. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Psalm 33, 6 also uses similar language. I don't have that up here. I'm going to read it for you. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. So this language people with Old Testament, who were familiar with Old Testament, would have, would have um, been familiar with. Yeah, that makes sense. It's through the word that everything was created. It's through the Lord's word. Colossians 1, 16-17, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And we see in the Gospels, when we, when we look at the life of Jesus, creation obeys Jesus as if it's obeying its master, its creator. When a storm threatens the disciples' boat to tear it apart, Jesus gives a word, and the storm immediately stops. It's silent. It's calm. When a storm threatens the disciples' boat once again, and he's on land, how does Jesus get to the boat? He, he, he walks on the water during a storm. I can't imagine what that looks like. Is he going up and down with the waves? Is everything just calm? But the creation seems to obey Jesus. He's able to create food out of a few fish to feed thousands. That, to me, seems like a creation miracle. He turns water into wine. Creation obeys Jesus like he is the one who created it and has control over it. He's the word. He is the word that created all things, and not one thing exists apart from him. And John continues, verse 4, about the word being life. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Now, in him was life is, is such an important statement. The reason that there's life in creation is because life, living, comes from Jesus. It's certainly true that biological life comes from Jesus. Animals, Adam and Eve, all of humanity, everything that has life has it because it came from the word. Now, when John uses the word for life, it often is paired with uh, the word for eternal, talking about eternal life as well. Jesus is the source not only of biological life, but of eternal life. And if there is eternal life to give, then Jesus is the one who can give it. Because he is the source of eternal life. He says, 
I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So not only is Jesus the life, but he is the light for humanity. Now, if you look back at Genesis 1, God created the light. He is the one who spoke the light into the darkness. At first, darkness was over the face of the deep until God said, let there be light. And God brought light and order out of darkness and chaos. And as, as the word, Jesus is able also to be the light in a fallen and in a dark world. He's the hope we have against our great enemies, against sin and death. Not only does he have, not only can he provide eternal life, but he's our lamp that shows us how to live in a world of darkness. In John 8, he'll say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In a dark world, Jesus is the source of light. He is the source of life and the source of light. He is the salvation from the darkness of this follow of this fallen world. And in verse 5, he, he goes on to talk about how the light is greater than the darkness. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And when you think about Jesus in the Gospels, everything that usually brings death with it is reversed when it comes into contact with Jesus. If a man has a withered hand, Jesus touches it and it's fully restored. His legs as well. He touches the man and they're fully restored. If a woman is has been bleeding for, what, what was it, 12 years, her entire life, I forget, she touches Jesus and it stops. If someone has leprosy, Jesus touches the person with leprosy and they are healed. Okay, and so what what usually happens, you know, is is the disease would be transferred when you touch someone. But when Jesus touches a person, the opposite happens. Life and healing is given to that person. So things that normally bring death and destruction uh, are reversed when they come into contact with Jesus. The same is true even of death. Remember Lazarus, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He predicts his own death and resurrection. And then when he is crucified, he is raised. Everything he faces, the temptation of sin, sickness, hunger, the wrath of men, death itself, it cannot overcome Jesus. All the dark things of this world have failed to crush Jesus. Jesus has overcome it all. And then you'll notice that John has changed from the past tense in the first four verses to the present tense in verse 5. The light does what is in its nature. It shines in the darkness. If it's not extinguished, it continues to shine. And the light of Jesus was not extinguished. He was crucified. He was crushed. But he rose again, and so he continues to shine. Death did not overcome him. And this is our Lord. This is the nature of the word. And that's the end of our passage for this morning. And so what can we learn? Let's review a few things. First, Jesus is the word through whom all things were created. Jesus is the word through whom all things were created. He existed before creation and therefore existed in eternity. He's eternal, the word. He is fully God. 
and yet he exists with God the Father. He is the source of life. He is the source of light. And he faced the darkness, and it did not overcome him. So who is this Jesus? What is his nature? John gives us a very uh, thorough understanding of who Jesus is. He is the Word. And the Word is the pre-incarnate Christ. And so we see the reason why John uses this word. Instead of just saying Jesus, he says word, because it's who Jesus is, his nature, before he became flesh. All right, and he'll tell us later on in this chapter, the word became flesh. And that's the incredible, amazing thing that we celebrate on Christmas, is the word becoming flesh. Not just flesh, but a babe. And so what? Why does it matter that Jesus was not just a man, but is the word, that he existed since the beginning, that he created all things, that he is the life, is the light, and can't be overcome by the darkness? What does it matter for us today? Well, of course, the nature of Jesus makes all the difference for us today. It's why we can have hope in the future, that even though things might look bleak in our world today, we know that Jesus will make all things new because he can make all things new, because he did it in the beginning. Because he is the word that was in the beginning through whom all things were created. And since Jesus is the life, we can trust him when he says he can give everlasting life. Like he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that when sickness, disease, death comes for us and our loved ones, and we are grieving that, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know that we, we know the source of life. When death and darkness tried to overcome him, he conquered death and he rose from the grave. And because he did, so too shall those who put their trust in him. They shall conquer death in the grave like he did. And since Jesus is the light of the world, his church and his gospel that represent him are like lights shining in the darkness. And so we have an opportunity to be life, to be light, and to bring life to others. When we share the gospel and when we obey his word. So my hope for us this week is that it would be our goal this week to shine the light of Christ in the darkness and to share his gospel so that he may continue to overcome the, gospel, uh, the darkness through us. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. God, we are grateful, Lord, that uh, we have a certain hope, Lord, that there's so much darkness in this world. It seems overwhelming. It seems like things can't be made right again sometimes. It seems like everything's going wrong sometimes. And yet we have a great and certain hope in Jesus as the Word, as the one who existed in the beginning, as the one who created all things, as the source of life, as the sort of source of light. When he came in conflict with the darkness, the darkness did not overcome him, but he overcame the darkness. God, we are thankful for Christ. And that's why we celebrate his birth, and we celebrate his life, and we celebrate his death on the cross that he overcame sin and death and rose again. And so, Lord, we uh, thank you for the life of Jesus. Be with us this week as we um, obey his word, as we share his gospel, 
and be a light in the darkness as well. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.